Hello, everyone, and inside today's episode of Locked On Canadians, we're going to discuss the loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning, whether or not Kent Hughes needs to kind of reapproach his uh, stance on trading veterans in Montreal, and a mini-sized three-up and three-down. Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 749 of Locked On Canadians. As always, thank you for making us your first listen of the day. If you're listening to this wherever you get your podcast, and if you are watching us on YouTube, please make sure you ring the bell so you get notified every time we post a brand new video or go live. Uh, if I sound a little rough, it's because I stayed up too late watching the Bills game last night and was out shoveling all morning. There was a lot of snow in Buffalo once again. I am one of your hosts. I am Scott Mellon. I'm joined, as always, by the active stick, Laura Saba, who is fresh off another appearance on Game Over Montreal with Andrew Burchard. Laura, that game was not great, but it's also exactly what we expected. Yeah, it was actually, you know what? The game itself was not enjoyable to watch, but the underlying numbers told a really great story for the Canadians. It does seem like they were able to turn around from their uninspired performance against the Anaheim Ducks and that is to put it nicely and mildly um, I'm being extremely generous to them by calling it uninspired because it was abysmal um, and, uh, and and you looked at the you know the the possession numbers you looked at the uh, generate the shot generation the attempts the shot attempts all of that you looked at the way the Canadians played and it was positive so Obviously, they did the thing where they allow a goal very early in the game. They were the first team to allow a goal in home, on home ice. All that stuff is not ideal. And we talked a little bit on Game Over about how that should have been one that Jake Allen had, to be honest. Like, I, I kind of agree with that. I personally, for me, that game was exactly what I thought it would be. Just like you said, Scott, they were going to lose to a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Tampa Bay Lightning is a team where even if they show up and they don't play that well, they have enough weapons. They have enough good goaltending. I love Andre Vasilevsky. He's a great goaltender. Um, they have enough of that to kind of burn you on all the mistakes you make. And the Montreal Canadiens need to start staying out of the box, right? We've been talking a lot over the course of the last, I would say, three or four weeks, how the officials have just been really, really terrible. And that's not new. It's not new and unique to the Canadians. It's not new to us. It's not new to the season. But at some point, the Canadians need to learn that you can't take some, some of these penalties, like too many men on the ice. I mean, that's not, you know, that's something where you already know the calls are going against you. So you need to really, really tighten those things up. That discipline needs to be there, and it's not. Uh, I The thing that I thought was really interesting was uh, Kirby Doc, obviously, played, played really well. Uh, I thought Caden Gooley had a phenomenal game. And... I just, I feel like we kind of have to now start turning our attention to those things, like those players that are younger, they're going to be part of the core, or we think they're going to be part of the core. And we start like observing how they're playing. I mean, even Mike Matheson is playing really well. And I know 
it doesn't look that great because it, it, he's kind of in a Jeff Petrie-esque situation where he's great for the possession numbers. He's great for driving offense numbers. He's great for that kind of numbers. And then you look and he makes like a giant mistake and it ends up in the back of the net. And everybody talks about it for two weeks. Like that's exactly how I feel about him. Like he's literally replaced Jeff Petrie in that trade. Yeah. Um, but I think he's phenomenal. I think he's really good. His his like he, he's quietly really good. And Andrew actually pointed out like I was actually blown away. I thought that Mike Matheson was doing well. And then Andrew pointed out that like his underlying numbers are actually some of the best in the league this year on a Habs team that isn't good. So you know it's 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 like for me. It's honestly, it's one of those things where we have to kind of pay attention to this and we kind of have to look at the little things. And that's what Kent Hughes has to do. I know we're going to talk about that in the next segment, but watching these younger players and how far they're going and how well they're doing and what is left in their development, um, what the future is going to look like. I think that's what we kind of need to turn our attention to because if we keep watching the games and they look like they did against Tampa, we're going to have a miserable season. We do need to get excited about the future because I think the future is exciting. Yeah. And here's the things I was only able to watch part of it before the bills game started. And I had to switch that over because, you know, we were having, you know, our, our party around that, but it's like, I look at Uri Slavkovsky at the top of like the possession numbers really good expected goals for numbers around the the Habs team overall at five on five again at five on five in this game playing well enough to win the game just like they did against Edmonton but bad penalties and some rough goaltending seems to have cost them a lot in this and I think that's the frustrating part is that they're doing the little things right but they're not getting the same uh they're not getting the same results that they were beforehand, or maybe they were able to get some bounces on, you know, quick strike chances. Cause like the period I watched, they were losing to nothing, but they weren't playing badly by any means in that. I, in the opening minutes, like Yol Armia had two golden chances. And because he's been absolutely cursed, he can't, you know, seem to find that rebound there. It's, it's frustrating. And I get, why people are upset and you know it's like ah this is bad and this is bad this is a game where they probably deserved better than the scoreline shows but that's also part of rebuilding this is you know don't change the five on five approach to what you are doing but there's tweet in the biggest one again i can't believe we're still having this conversation is the power play has to get better you can't be given opportunities to get back into a game against tampa and not take them if you don't do that you know, it, you're going to – because let's see, how many penalties did they take overall? Like, like Tampa took a lot of penalties in this game, enough that, like, the Canadians should have – they had one well, – one of those was a fight, so that doesn't count. So they had, what, four power play opportunities in this game and they didn't score on any of them? You, you got to do something with that. And I think that's the biggest thing is that if they could get an even slightly threatening power play – a lot of these games are going to change very, very quickly. And the fact that they're not is a problem. Like it, it hurts confidence, especially for guys who are power play scoring goal. You know, you look at Mike Hoffman, not that Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki are solely just power play producers, but they're very good at producing in that situation. And I think that's the most frustrating part out of this is that the discipline is an issue and it put them behind in this game. And then when they were given an opportunity to get back into it, they weren't able to. So 
they did lose. It's 5-1. They play Arizona on Monday. Uh, don't take them lightly. Arizona at Mullet Arena is just a different kind of animal. Uh, I know in the description it says we're going to do a bigger preview on this, but they're going out west this week. We're going to tie this into our trade segment coming up here. And in our next segment, we're going to talk whether or not Kent Hughes needs to tweak his approach to trading veterans and how that might impact the team after the roster freeze that goes into effect on Monday, all that and more in our next segment. But first today's episode is brought to you by the folks at athletic greens. And honestly, it's the middle of winter. You need your vitamins. You need your nutrients to keep your immune system and everything running at top speed. And athletic greens just does that with 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. And this special blend of ingredients focuses on your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy recovery focus, helping to slow down aging, all of these things. Take it first thing in the morning when I get up, getting ready for work, have a glass of Athletic Greens, get out the door and start my day right. It's really important that you are taking some kind of vitamin during the, during the winter months, and especially this, which is packed full of vitamin D, not as much sunlight, it's great for your skin. It's great for your immune system. Everything It's completely lifestyle friendly. So whether you are gluten-free, vegan, dairy-free, whatever, they ha- this is just right for you. It has over 7,000 five-star reviews, and it's recommended by professional athletes and leading health experts. If you're going to want to get through this winter and stay healthy, something like Athletic Greens is going to be right there to help. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Green is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We are back here at Lockdown Canadians and at following a couple of really disappointing games for the Montreal Canadiens, the main question has become, is the roster in need of a shakeup right now? Within reason. They're not trading, you know, some of these other contracts off the books, but I know, and the biggest one here is that Joel Edmondson's name has been mentioned a lot in potential trade pieces with the Oilers apparently, especially being really interested in Joel Edmondson after they didn't get Ben Sherratt last year, they want something similar to that. And we know Kent Hughes doesn't want to let anyone walk without hitting his demands, but based on how well the kids have played and how much Joel Edmondson has kind of struggled this season, even if his numbers weren't terrible in that last game against Tampa, does Kent Hughes kind of need to maybe take a step back on not trading Joel Edmondson if there's an offer from the Oilers? If they are offering something right now that includes a first and a prospect, are the Canadians really in a position to turn that down, Laura? I'm of two minds on this because my question is, are the Oilers actually offering a first? Because if they are, to me, that's enough, right? Obviously, you want more. And you don't want the Kent Hughes. And this is why I'm off two minds, right? For me, getting anything for the rebuild, getting any any picks or prospects or both 
are ideal for the rebuild. But I think Kent Hughes doesn't want a reputation of somebody who will budge from his demands. And I think that he doesn't want to be seen as somebody that you can manipulate or uh, sort of massage into what you want, right? He doesn't want to be finessed and he doesn't want a reputation that that's going to be something. At the same time, I think that Joel Edmondson the whole point of him being here was for him to be a veteran to guide the younger players. But if he's struggling himself, how much good is he doing for your younger defensemen like Jordan Harris or uh, Caden Gooley in particular? He's going to be the guy in the future, I think. I think the way that he's playing, that's the direction that it's going. So is he, like, for me, the question is, is keeping Joel Edmondson hurting the development more than it would be if you let him go for less than you wanted. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to ramble, but that's where I stand on this. And it's like, for me, it's like, are they offering a first? Go for it. If they're offering a first and a prospect, do it. Absolutely. If they're not, though, I don't know if I want anything less than a first for this. Like, the Edmonton Oilers aren't great, but they could be. They could finish the season. They could finish the season in a much higher position. So I'm, I'm, I'm not. I just want picks, and I want good picks. And that's my thought, too, is that like with the Oilers, I know everyone's eyes are like if they're offering a prospect. They want Xavier Borgo, who's playing for I believe is playing for Bakersfield in the AHL right now. But if you're going to get picks and a top prospect or a first and like a middle tier prospect, like we answered in our mailbag last week, I say you take it at this point. You have Justin Barron, who's playing real well. And if you're going to lose games, having Chris Weidman in there is not the end of the world. He's fine as a third pairing defenseman and you can give Arbor Jack I and Jordan Harris and these other guys more ice uh, more ice time than would normally get and David Savard is going to come off of IR at some point uh he was put on it retroactive December 4th so he should be back relatively soonish and the other big one is it's Josh Anderson again and this is Martin St. Louis David DeHarnay moment in that when he doesn't know what to do with the lineup, he puts Josh Anderson on the top line with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. And it, it, it does not work. If it's not a team, if they're not getting the puck in transition, Josh Anderson is like attaching a cinder block to a Ferrari. There is that his strength is not what Suzuki and Caulfield's strengths are. His strengths are very different from them. And that works well in other situations. But defensively, it weighs them down a little bit more. And the offense doesn't work that way because his game is more power and speed and not as much finesse as you would find with Caulfield and Suzuki. And we know that teams have called about Josh Anderson and Kent Hughes didn't really want to trade them between him being an important locker room guy and also, you know, thinking he can get more. This is the bigger one for me over Joel Edmondson. If you can get something for Edmondson because he's only got this year and next year left, you do it. Anderson's contract is a little bit longer. And this is where I'm wondering if Kent Hughes might have to finally break his, I'm not retaining any money seller or, you know, uh, a tenant to like his trading philosophy here is that if he's able to, you know, trade Anderson out, it's a lot of open cap space. Now it opens up a middle six spot guaranteed for somebody should be your Slavkovsky permanently, but things can change or you get a chance to call up one of the guys from the AHL too. But I want the, it, it, 
it, it's complicated because who has space to take on what another three years at five and a half million dollars like that's and the cap's only going up by a million dollars which shocker gary bettman was wrong about something but i'm wondering if kent hughes after the roster freeze which starts uh, monday i believe at 5 p.m and goes till the 28th of december which no one wants to get traded over the holidays so there's a roster freeze in place i'm wondering during that time and in that time, they play the Coyotes, they play the Stars, and they play the Avalanche, and then they are back after Christmas, I believe. Um, I'm wondering how many phone calls Kent Hughes is making in that time frame for teams. Players are going to go home and rest up. Who's coming back healthy? Who still needs bodies? Teams like the Avalanche and everyone else. I wonder if we start seeing some of these you know, trades start to trickle in after that once, you know, Teams have a better idea. It's been maybe less than half the season at this point, but right around there. Uh, Laura, do you have any parting thoughts before we get to our last segment? No, not at all. I think that's that. That's the rub is that the cup, the cup, the cap isn't going up as much as we wanted it to, um, and that I think is is handcuffing a lot of teams. And I think that there's a huge demand for Josh Anderson among the NHL team, particularly old school thinking. But I think that there's not enough cap for Josh Anderson anywhere, really. Yeah, it's if it rose the way that they were expecting it to, and it did not, different story. You would watch very, very stupid spend. When when the cap goes up anyways, you're going to watch a very, lot of very stupid spending, and it's going to be a problem, but hopefully not our problem. Uh, also not our problem. It is Monday. That means it is three up and three down, but we are combining that into one segment. So you're getting two up, two down this week, just because we want to make sure that we don't last longer than your commute to work here at Lockdown Canadians. And that's all coming up next. All right. So normally we do three up and we do three down and we do it over two segments, but we had a lot to talk about today after this weekend and some of these games and the rumblings and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to start on the down list and I feel bad kind of saying this because I've, I really do like Jake Allen as a player. His play has not been very inspiring this week. And that's a pro. I mean, the game against the flames was incredible. Everything else has been less than inspiring if from Jake Allen this week. And that's a problem for a guy they want to lean on as their starting goalie. And I'm not saying he should lose his job to Samuel Montembeau, but I'm not saying that Samuel Montembeau doesn't deserve more starts at this point. He knew what he signed up for. He you know, knew that he was going to be here through a rebuild and some tough patches. I don't think a lot of us expected the tough patches to be Jake Allen himself, though. Yeah, and he is overworked. We have to admit that. And I think Martin saying that we needs to play Sam, Samuel Montembeau more. I wonder what the reasoning is. I really don't. Is it because they're paying Jake Allen more? Is it like, what, what is the deal here? I think that Samuel Montembeau, or maybe they don't want to overwork him so that the same thing doesn't happen. That might be a thing. I just find that they're just not, like, I mean, everybody, you know, whoever we talk to online, our commenters, everybody's like, why don't they play Samuel Montembeau more? I don't think anybody disagrees with the idea of doing that. So for me, I don't even know if it's Jake Allen or if it's Martin St. Louis and he's overworking him or what, but Jake Allen needs to be better and he needs some rest. And that's my Both thought is maybe, yeah, like I would start Samuel Montembeau against the Coyotes. 
And then I might start him against the Avs too and give Jake Allen the game against Dallas or vice versa and give Montembeau the game against Dallas. Like there's no harm in letting Samuel Montembeau play more because we got to figure out what level he's actually at. Cause he's regressed a little bit, but he's looked a lot better than he did last year. So there's no reason to not let him play and to kind of stick with a goaltending theme here. Uh, Kevin Poulin for the rocket has not been great. He had a great game against Utica this week. Uh, it was the same night as uh what, I can't remember the Habs games that they played this week because it's been such a busy week. But what's the one before let, Anaheim? That was that night. It was. Oh God. Uh, um, was it Calgary? I thought Calgary was the night. Oh no, it was uh, Ottawa. Right. So, because I didn't watch all of the Senators game because I was watching the uh, Rocket game, but on Saturday, You're doing great he over to, here, Scott. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the Rocket as a whole allowed seven goals. Uh, two of which I believe were empty netters, but still like the team's struggling in a big way and it's goaltending is not help because their penalty kill is almost an automatic goal against at this point. And they take a lot of penalties and the goaltending isn't bailing them out. Caden Primo still isn't healthy enough to play and you can't toss it all on the shoulders of Joe Verbatic, who's played a handful of ECHL games and has started one AHL game at this point. Like, it's a it's a tough hill to climb up here, and the goaltending around the Canadians organization in North it's a America. Big question mark. Yeah, exactly, and it makes me wonder if that's on their draft list this year, especially if they're going to get more first round picks. If they see someone, what are they going to do with that? Or are they going to hit in free agency? I don't really know quite yet. Um, but to shift into the up segment here, I didn't tell Laura who I was picking for any of these, but. Um, I don't think this one's going to come as a surprise. The Owen Beck revenge tour is in full swing. And just like we said, it was going to be, he got cut from team Canada and has promptly put up. Like he put up three primary assists in like the first period of his first game after being cut, put in a couple more points. And I think he has like six points in the last two games played uh, the last I checked. He's, he's going to do the revenge tour thing, and we're both going to be really, really smug about it uh, This or and through all of the World Juniors at this point. Yeah, like, I think for me, that was a huge error, leaving him off the team. I also understand why they did it, logjam at center, blah, blah, blah. Thank you, Shane Wright, whatever. Um, but I think Owen Beck is responding to it. He's not folding. He's not caving. He's not losing his confidence. He's getting determined. That is exactly what you want to see from a kid like him. I can't say enough about the way that he handles himself. And I, I can't say enough about his production. You know, how much did we talk about his production last year or once he was drafted or just before he was drafted when you had your eye on him for a long time? I think now, that question has been tossed out the window dramatically. So for me, Owen Beck, like I, I would consider him an, an up as well. Um, but I, I had Kirby Doc as mine. I, I am not afraid to actually put him on there. I was, I was going to go back to the AHL. Someone pointed this out on Twitter: is that no matter what line Kirby Doc is playing on, and whether he's a winger or a center that line seems to immediately see an uptick in their underlying metrics across the board. Mm-hmm. And like, I think it might've well been with- Andrew Berkshire actually. Like we talked about it on game over last night. So I don't know if he, if he was the one that came up with that observation or somebody else did, but literally every line he plays on is the best line that night for the Canadians. 
Yeah, and it's like with uh, Druin and Slavkovsky, it's like that's a really impressive. They were the group I noticed the most in the first period. A yeah. lot. And Doc is just such a smooth, smooth operator that like that contract he signed looks incredible for Kent Hughes, honestly. Uh, and just, yeah. And to just uh, add something to own the own back thing here, 26 games. He has 16 goals, 23 assists. He has six points in his last two games. His career high point last year was 51. He might pass that by the end of this month. If he keeps playing wow. like this. Absolutely it's, stunning. We love Owen Beck on this podcast. Yes. Um, I do want to give a special shout out to Anthony Richard, who continues to be, and Justin Barron, actually, uh, just because they continue to be really, really big, bright spots on a very poor Rocket team. Uh, Anthony Richard has 18 goals and 13 assists in 27 games. I don't think there's another Rocket within 50 or 50 like spots overall in like the scoring chase. The next closest guy is Jesse Olin, who has 22 points in 27 games. Peter Bondonato has 18 and 21. Xavier Simino, who is injured, has 18 and 23. Uh, and Justin Barron has 15 points in 24 games. Like the bright spots are very few in Laval, but they are very, very bright overall. And I gotta say, I I don't think it's no, I, it's not really a joke anymore. Is that I do think Anthony Richard should get an NHL look here. And I don't care if you send Pitlick back down or if you put someone on waivers to go to the AHL. You got to give the guy a chance. He's leading the, the league in goal scoring. Like, you got to give him that opportunity. Even if it's just for a couple of games at home, you got to do it at some point. And I think he's well earned it. And I think he knows that he's earned it. He says he's playing the best hockey of his career there. Um, if you want to tell us your ups and downs for the week, you can tweet us at LO underscore Canadians. Uh, LockdownCanadians at gmail.com. If you want to send out longer thoughts, uh, you can follow Laura at the active stick. You can follow myself at Scott Matla on Twitter. You can find us wherever you find your daily podcast. And of course here on YouTube, just make sure you ring the bell to be notified when we have subs or when we go live, post new items, whatever. We will be back with a recap and everything after the coyotes game. We have a, our special bonus mailbag episode coming on Wednesday this week. And folks, that's it for us. And we will see you all next time.